Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on June the 9th, 6-9-2021. Yeah, the I sexiest of days. That's right. 6-9 of the sexiest year 2020. Um, <laughs> hold on. Uh, anyway, so... <laughs> good date it's uh it's a wednesday however more importantly than that which means it's the manga talking day it is uh i i had a moment today uh i was over at my sister's place uh she's out of town so i was was feeding her cats and uh i was headed out to my car and uh there was a gust of wind and i saw in the gust of wind a bunch of like orange things in it now i thought to myself like Ah, a nice autismal breeze carrying along with it several uh, little uh, discarded fragments of, of, of leaves in like a, a small gust. And as it hit me, I was like, wait a minute. It's not autumn. <laughs> it was just a swarm of cicadas. <laughs> <laughs> We've had sex. Now we're dead on top of you. <laughs> it was really a moment. Of me being like, ah, what a perfect seasonal month. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> this isn't the moment I thought it was. You're just monsters. Great. I'm covered in bug sex juices now. <laughs> I don't know why. I just found it. It was, I'm, it was almost a moment where I almost like opened my mouth to just be like, ah, what a, what a beautiful day. <laughs> Like, if it were autumn, you would be, like, catching the leaves on your tongue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, maybe one of them will have a worm crawling around on it. Yay! Yeah. Ooh. I wonder what's in this. I wonder if it's going to be fun that I'm going to catch in my mouth. It wasn't. Um. Speaking of fun. Maybe? I don't know. (laughs) It's a confusing series that we had to talk, to read uh, for this week of Weekly Manga Recap. Qualia the Purple, mm-hmm. or known by its Japanese title, Murasakiro no Qualia. It is based on a light novel that came out in 2009 by the same name. Uh, from what I understand, the author of the series basically just kind of wrote this manga too with artwork. Uh, so written by Hisamitsu Ueo, drawn by Shiro Tsunashima. And this is, how do I describe the genre of this series? It is sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is true. Supernatural. Yeah. Uh, school life. Yeah. Comedy Some... romance. Yeah. Thriller mystery. Uh, sure. Or, uh adventure they uh, the characters do go on an adventure of sorts so i suppose that qualifies so i don't think that you could really talk <laughs> about this series without talking about it so <laughs> yeah so uh, I'll, I'll say this um I, I can't remember who is the the person who wrote the blurb uh but the the blurb was like a weird series that gets weirder and we just read dear saw chan recently where it was like, oh, a dumpster fire series. And I think both of our thoughts were like, eh, it wasn't that bad. 
So I was about nine chapters into this series, and I was like, man, maybe the audience was just overdoing it again. Like, it's not that weird. And then, like, Hold by on, the... Let me flip this switch. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me, like, flip over to the next... It, it absolutely... Because it, it's not even so much that this is, like, a series that gets weird and starts involving a lot of, like, quantum physics storytelling, essentially, and things like that. It's also just kind of a bonkers series when you get down to it like it, it really goes into some weird places so things start off on a relatively for the entirety of it normal note with uh our introduction to our main characters the story is told from the point of view of a girl called uh, gaku uh and uh, she befriends a girl at her school named yukari who sees all human beings as robots. Mm. Uh, that is the only way that she can see them. Uh, and it's not a delusion. It's established pretty quickly. This is just the way that she sees people. And often it actually gives her insight into what they will be talented at or what their personality is like. Uh, so for example, she's like, Oh yeah, the, this girl seems, I thought that she had like, you know, uh, after thrusters on, so I figured she would be really good at track, and that girl is great, is good at track after she tells her to try out for it. Uh, so, Gaku is one of the few people that Yukari tells about this because obviously people think it's kind of weird if you say that everyone looks like a robot to you. You know? Yeah, they don't take kindly to it. We don't take kindly to people who say we look like robots. <laughs> I don't know. So, um, Things go kind of normally uh, for a few chapters where Gaku's just, you know, kind of getting to know her friend uh, who sees everyone as robots mm -hmm. and gets to know that uh, that doesn't mean that she's like, you know, cold heart or anything. It just means that, you know, she's actually extra affectionate towards other things that look like robots. Yes. So she's very fond of Gundam models and stuff. So then a serial killer shows up. <laughs> this is like chapter three i think by the way yeah um and it turns out that yukari is regularly in contact with the police because her ability to see people as robots and determine their personality and capabilities through this also uh comes in handy with her being able to pick out murderers from just their pictures so um she ids a murderer in this serial killer case who then hunts her down, kidnaps Gaku in order to draw her out, cuts off Gaku's arm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know. We're still, again, this is like chapter three, I think, still. Chapter four, maybe. So Yukari shows <laughs> up to confront her, and all of her Gundam models come to life, like Toy Story style, <laughs> and subdue the girl, who gets chopped into pieces, but she's still alive. She's mm -hmm. okay. And then Yukari fixes her brain so that she's no longer a serial killer. Because because she has the ability to see everyone as robots, she can also fix them like pieces yes. of machinery if she just has the parts necessary to do so. And then she fixes Gaku's hand by using her cell phone. Yes. So, so, so now she's got a cell phone in her hand. This is chapter five. So... <laughs> 
this is a 20 chapter long series so you know I, yes it's like a quarter of the way through but still you have to keep in mind that this is you know 30 minutes into reading this series and this is where you are yeah you don't spend a ton of time with uh just a regular old like oh it's our school life and my friend has like weird eyes and i wonder what miss like adventures we're gonna get into it's like now very quickly crazy stuff's happening um and then from there uh, we get introduced to a couple of other characters, including uh, a girl that Yukari also fixed when they were kids and, named Tenjo. And Tenjo has kind of kept her distance from Yukari ever since then because she has parts of a jungle gym inside of her uh, because her friend fixed her. And that's a little bit weird. So Tenjo has been doing some thinking since she was a little kid and she's been reading some books. So she and Gaku have a conversation <laughs> Where she brings up Fermat and Schrodinger's cat and multiverse theory. And (laughs) so this is the start of what essentially is like one long philosophical navel gazing uh, experiment Mm -hmm. in this series. Because there is a dramatic hook. Because, like, uh, something happens where Yukari, like, gets killed off. And Gaku discovers that she can use her cell phone hand to communicate with alternate universe versions of herself. And then she can jump between universes and she can gain the abilities of other versions of herself. And since the multiverse is infinite, she has infinite access to every single possible thing that she could be doing in her life. And so she dedicates this infinite uh, these infinite lives to trying to find a way to go back and save Yukari. And it eventually from there, I do feel like, so I feel like at this point we need to just say like, we, to talk about this series at a whole, we have to spoil it. So if, if, if to this point you're like, this sounds crazy, but my kind of crazy, like I would definitely suggest stopping because some of the stuff I think is best experienced not knowing exactly how it happens and then going from there, essentially. Um, but it is it is a delight, not just in how ridiculous it is, but often how absurdly it is presented to you. So I, I think my favorite thing is we start getting into it in like a little bit of a chunk of like, okay, uh, Manabu or Gaku, whatever you want to call her. She's like, I, I, I'm going through these different things. I'm trying to figure out. And at first, she's just trying to figure out how to help Yukari. And there's like a character, like a tertiary character called Alice, who is somewhat kind of responsible for Yukari leaving, which is usually like the catalyst to her dying, I think. Um, so it'll be like in one universe, it'll be Manabu being like, in this universe, I fell in love with Alice and we became wives and we shared our lives together. But unfortunately, it didn't save Yukari. In the next universe, I slit her throat and buried her in the ocean. In the next universe, I was a pirate. I don't know. <laughs> in the next, like it'll, like, it'll just be like an extended sequence of just like, in the next universe, I was Jeff Bezos and I made millions of dollars, but I still couldn't prevent fucking <laughs> Yukari from dying. Yeah, uh, it becomes a matter of like, somehow she essentially gains access to infinite power, mm-hmm. pretty much. And no matter what she does, Yukari ends up being murdered by somebody. 
Uh, so she starts to think, like, is this, like, fate? Is this predetermined despite everything that I'm able to accomplish? Can I just not defy this fate? And she starts to ask the question also, well, Yukari's death is what caused this me to exist, you know, going all these infinite pathways. So would it be paradoxical if I did save her? Is that why I can't seem to save her no matter what I do? Uh, and then there are it kind of loses she admits that she kind of loses the plot because she's like i mean i kind of just kept on doing this and i started to lose myself the more and more that i went on on about this so it's it becomes a thing that she's just doing because she's doing it Mm. because it is her entire reason for being this way so if she starts to lose that then it corrects itself because it's not just her doing this. It's infinite versions of herself all working together at the same time and in the past and the future. Yeah. Because it's, there's infinite of her. So Yeah, it's, it's all happening at once and also sequentially. And I think one of my favorite details is like at, at one point they, they kind of she like shows off these various different versions of herself. Because, like, the first time you ever get introduced, it's she lives a mundane life. She was a journalist. She didn't really, like, do all that much. And then mm-hmm. later on, she'll, like, show a different version. She even kind of notes, she's like, yeah, I failed a lot of times. It's actually a lot harder for, like, a teenage girl to get overseas without bad things happening or, like, without running into problems or getting arrested or something like that. And then she's like, in one universe, I was like a badass leather spy lady, kind of, like, badass. And then later on, like, she reaches a point where they go to, like, the convergence of all their souls where everyone's hanging out there. And I was like, I don't know, maybe this doesn't work. A badass leather spy lady shoots her in the head and is like, I'm taking over. You're just like, what the fuck's happening? Because she's like, I don't have time for any version of myself that's going to fall into despair like this. You're useless to me. We're going to go and save Yukari if it takes another infinite tries. So. It's just such a funny thing. It hasn't even gotten to the point where she she continues universe hopping until she's a superhero. Uh, the first time that we're introduced to these, you know, infinite possibilities is actually, uh, very subdued and kind of clever because the journalist, uh, timeline that you mentioned, um, she starts going on that, um, before she's actually learned that Yukari's died. She just starts talking about like, yeah, so Yukari left. And so, you know, after that, uh, Tenjo and I, who were her friends kind of drifted apart and then we came back together at a class reunion and we kind of caught up a little bit. Anyway, I guess I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, so I should go back. So, <laughs> and that's the first introduction to the idea that, oh, okay, Gaku is living all of this not chronologically because she's gone forward and jumped back and jumped back and forth between universes over and over and over and over again. That for her, keeping everything straight and in one direction is actually difficult because she's so used to going in all directions and being in every point in time and on the earth at once. Uh, and it gets pretty goddamn wild at a few points. Um, 
there there were parts of this series that reminded me of uh, the episode of Madoka Magica, where it explains Homura kept on going back to try and save uh, Madoka, and she kept on going back over and over and over and over and over again, and constantly failing. Uh, it's a similar setup. Yes. And then almost exactly right when I had had that thought, you get introduced to a timeline where Gaku becomes a magical girl. <laughs> <laughs> because she's like yeah so i had access to infinite universes so i eventually gained access to one where there was magic and so <laughs> i gained that power and i used it to fucking murder people it's ridiculous like it's something out of like maho shoujo of the end where she's like i'm going to punish you and she casts this magical fist that turns someone into blood goop <laughs> and then it's immediately confronted by their family being like why why are you killing them and her thought being like i better kill them too they might start the company in this person's absence and just yeah. rushes them i, I think so she's Okay. She's lost all sense of scope yeah. at this point. Yeah. So oh, she becomes she becomes an insane person. Like eventually she yeah. reaches a point where she's like, I have to kill Alice. And she's like, I killed Alice, but I got caught. And I tried killing her again. And it's harder I it's harder to not get caught than I thought. But eventually I managed to kill her and no one finds out. But then they just sent someone else. So I had to kill that person. And yeah. it just you're like, holy shit. And it's great because it's juxtaposed by uh, her also saying, yeah, many universes I've loved Alice uh, and many other ones I've also murdered her or she's murdered yeah. me. Let's be fair. So sometimes yeah. she gets the one over on me. It's one of those things that she's lived not only the, so many different lives over and over again, but lived life in so many different ways that she's become entirely callous to the experience mm -hmm. and like she loses sight of, oh yeah, I'm gonna murder people like incredibly quickly, and it eventually gets to, gets to the point where humans are like less than ants to her. Like so, she, for example, when the family is like dismayed that she has murdered this person who would have founded the organization that eventually kills Yukari, she's just like, why are they so upset? Like it doesn't even just process with her that this has happened, and then things get even weirder. <laughs> yeah. um, so she, I don't know exactly. So, okay. I was actually following with the logic of this series. Pretty okay. Up through this point, because the series basic bases itself on actual theoretical physics, uh, theorems mm. uh, in terms of how the universe and everything in it works uh, and how quantum works. And so the example of Schrodinger's cat is brought up over and over and over and over again. Uh, the idea being that if you've never heard of the, uh, of, of the theory, uh, if you put a cat in a box and there is a trigger that is activated by a quantum, uh, that will release poison into the box. Human observation is what causes the quantum possibilities to collapse on a single reality. So until you look inside the box, the poison both has and hasn't been released. And so the cat both is and is not dead. So because Gaku perceives her hand as being 
a flesh and blood hand and is a mechanical cell phone hand that Yukari has given her, she is able to see all possibilities simultaneously, which lets her jump between all those possibilities. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that just is. Um, it, it... So then she becomes her own mom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is true. She also finds out she can start taking over people. Yeah. So she somehow starts living as different people. She can never live as Yukari or as Alice, which I believe the explanation is because she can't actually perceive things the way that Yukari and Alice perceive them. Yeah. Alice has this, a similar ability to Yukari, which is that she perceives mathematical formula as uh, artwork. Yeah. So she can't see things that way. So presumably she can't acknowledge that possibility. So she can't be them, I guess. So she lives as everyone in the world, basically, including a very harrowing storyline where she is Yukari's mother and essentially destroys and ruins her life through abuse and overprotection to try and prevent her from dying. And so Yukari is a shell of herself and she wanders out into traffic and dies that way instead. <laughs> it's kind of fucked. It's pretty fucked up. Um but eventually she becomes uh, a cult leader, kind of. Um, She takes over the organization that had killed Yukari. Alice becomes her lover multiple times in this possibility that she explores until after getting killed by Alice a few times and killing Alice a few times after they become lovers, she uses Alice's ability to get her to draw a painting that represents the unifying theory of the universe. So, (laughs) and then she becomes the universe. Yes. Like all of it. Mm -hmm. She, she transcends humanity of every shell. It is basically, it becomes essentially uh, an omniscient uh, observer of everything. So this allows her to finally save Yukari because she can just tweak things in a way that she basically has things go exactly how they did in the original timeline, but in such a way that she survives the experience and is rescued. Mm -hmm. And everything is kind of okay. And Gaku kind of prepares herself to have this kind of bittersweet ending where she's like, I finally did it. I am everywhere. Although. Yeah. I was going to say she had, she knows she's like, yeah, I, I like no one could see me or anything like that, and I've had to exist like this since the dawn of time. So I've just had to be hanging out with nothing, just waiting for the moment where I could actually start affecting things. And you're like, "Good lord!" Yeah. So she's like, "But Yukari is safe, and my work is done." And then Yukari looks up while she's narrating to herself, and goes, "Gaku-chan," <laughs> and she can see her. Yeah. <laughs> It's so. it's probably the funniest moment of the manga because it's like a full like six pages of pontificate about like I have lost everything that's become my humanity and my Gaku Chan no Gaku is in this world I am something else something neither human nor anything we could understand thus my lonely existence begins but it is okay for I have saved this thing that is so important to me and then Yukari just looks up Gaku oh like like the narration omniscient text box like oh. 
And so essentially from there, Yukari finally makes Gaku realize like, yeah, you took this way too far. Like you went, you took this too far about 75 trillion eternities ago. (laughs) (laughs) And so the whole thing comes, comes down to like, she says like, look, you can't control my existence. Only I can control my destiny. And just as you can only control yours. And through magic, um, (laughs) I'm not even going to pretend that I understand what the logic behind this is. Yukari is able to actually bring Gaku back into an actual physical form and they kiss because this whole thing has been about Gaku processing the fact that she's in love with Yukari and not really ever being able to come to terms with that. Uh, She kind of lost sight of it because she was so obsessed with just saving her that she lost sight of why she was doing it. Um, So that timeline results in them being happy together. But that's not the end. Because Gaku's present consciousness, let's call it, then snaps back to the original timeline where she cuts herself off from the infinity collective that's been giving her superpowers and godlike abilities and knowledge of the infinite possibilities and stuff like that. And so she remembers part of it, but she now no longer has the mental power necessary to compute infinite to the infinite power possibilities. Mm. So then she goes home and solves the whole situation by being honest with Yukari and being like, I don't want you to go anywhere because you're my friend and I would miss you. And then she also makes friends with Alice, who is her enemy for the beginning of the series. And then they just kind of are happy together and are friends. And she's just like, you know, I don't know how things are going to result from here, but I'm with my friends and I'm with Yukari and I think that we can handle things. And that's just it. So, um, I was not prepared for this series, but I think I liked it. Uh, I'm just not sure. <laughs> it's on the fence. Uh, it's hard to know what you think about the series because you have to process a lot of it. Um, and I will fully admit right now, I am not a smart person when it comes to these sort of storylines. Like the moment you start getting into like quantum physics and things like that, my brain's like, all right, I'm going to trust you. I'm, uh, you're the smarter person than I am. So I imagine there's a lot of things I miss. Like, I'm thankful I at least caught on to the very dark realization that there was one reality where uh, Gaku and Alice got together and they talk about how Alice always had this like white hair, which was the result of her her mother basically being abusive to her and it's sort of like this these entangled connections that Alice kept towards her. And in that reality, Alice ends up killing Gaku, or trying to at least, because she's like, no, fuck you, you're like, something's up with you. So she's like, in the next reality, I basically didn't let her get over that attachment to her mother. And it worked. I got to ascend the reality. You're like, holy shit, this is fucking dark. Yeah. And like, Gaku did a lot of fucked up things. Yeah. (laughs) I I imagine there are a lot of different little touches like that, um, particularly in just some of the theoretical stuff they bring up and how it might connect in a literary standpoint as well. And I think if you're somebody who digs that sort of storyline, 
like there's i i feel like there's probably a lot of that in here for you to to really dig into um it's also just a sweet little like kind i shouldn't say cute romance story because so much of it is gaku doing horrible things <laughs> but there is like a, a, a chunk of it that you're able to be like oh i hope these two crazy kids end up together and then there's a bit in the middle where you're like oh my god and at the end you're like oh those two crazy kids ended up together <laughs> Uh, I think that my biggest criticism of the series is that it is uneven, uh-huh. uh, because about half of it is seeming like it's building up to something. And then the other half of it is not built up to at all. Like it's, it's, it's completely different. Once they start dropping, uh, physics and philosophical, uh, quandaries, and the text gets uh, considerably more populous in each chapter, then, like, you're in the the second part of the series that is completely different from the first part. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, all the stuff that, like, Yukari can actually do with her abilities, that never comes up again, because she's dead for the <laughs> entire second half of the series. Uh, so it's weird to see, like, that kind of, like, slowly built up, and then it's never actually used. I imagine that maybe in light novel form, uh, maybe there would have been more of a sense of things actually ramping up uh, between the two parts, but I have no idea. Mm. Um, <laughs> there, there were certain parts of this that just maybe just kind of laugh because it was so, you know, so weird and so, so. Let me talk to you about this philo- this this quantum physics thought experiment that I know about. I, like, I'll give this the series credit for actually knowing that uh, Schrodinger's cat was proposed by Schrodinger to criticize the quantum theory at the time, and then she would, and then they just kind of be like, but it turns out everyone rejected his th- his thought patterns and then just kind of came up with their own explanations for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is a monologue at one point where Gaku is becoming more and more in tune with the entire universe that goes. Are you familiar with the anthrocentric uh, theory of the universe? <laughs> like, no, good ma'am, I am <laughs> right not. I started, just started laughing. <laughs> it's so hard not to because it's a series that is a is taking on these like these crazy concepts, but then you're you're reading it and you're like, in execution, you had an entire chapter dedicated to fucking magical girl, mass murderer, god lady. Like, there's no way for me to, like, there's, there's a level of it that you're like, all right, you understand how absurd this is at the same time that you're doing it. So you can't help but kind of get on board. Yeah. And I mean, like, all the stuff at the beginning where it's like, this woman can, this girl can fix people like machines, even if they're cut into pieces. She can also make her Gundam figurines come to life. You think that's the insane thing that's going to happen in the series. But yeah. no, that's like, that's like properly <laughs> foreshadowed and built up. So you're like, yeah, okay. By the end of the series, you're like, I forgot the robots were even alive. I'll be honest. <laughs> it completely left my mind. There was too much. So, I mean, I enjoyed the ride that I went on. Mm. Um, I am still so taken aback by the bounds to which the series went that I'm still not really sure if it was good or not. I know for a fact though that probably a lot of you are going to try reading this and then be like this just got stupid really quickly. So I will 
I totally understand, you know, if you don't like this, but also totally understand if you do like it and because of how out there it gets and how what to what lengths it goes. I've I've heard a couple of people also mention that this series has kind of like somewhat of a legendary status when it comes to like sort of light novel adaptation stuff and also <laughs> just for Yuri stuff in general, I suppose. Sure. Uh, so it's I, I could definitely see why I, I could see how this sort of series would be very influential in that manner. So I, I don't know. In my mind, I feel like most people can read this series and be like, wow, what a fun, cool series that's weird and weirdly dark, but like awesome. But I also would not blame somebody if they were like at they read like the start and they were just like, eh, whatever. Or if they got to the parts where it starts getting really weird and they're like, I'm out. It'd be weird because I'm like, it's 18 chapters long. It's not that <laughs> you're, you're so far in. Why not just wrap it up? But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be like if it wasn't for the podcast, I would have definitely gotten to the part where they start explaining Schrodinger's cat. And I'd be like, nah, I'm out. I don't I, look. I'm bad at science. I'm out. I'm in philosophy, physics, whatever the fuck this is. It's not me. I'm out of here. I do wish that there had been more time spent, like actually looking into the characters themselves, uh, Tenjo, the other childhood friend of Yukari's, uh, just kind of like just vanishes and doesn't isn't really relevant after a certain point. Um, I do know that part of why there's not really a deep exploration of some of the characters is because the story is told from Gaku's point of view. Mm hmm. And so the entire point is that she has become so disconnected from people that she doesn't actually understand or care about the emotions that drive them. So, like, she understands how to manipulate Alice, for example, but she doesn't actually have sympathy for the fact that she was abused as a kid. Uh, and she also has grown apart from the parts of herself that she's like repressed in terms of her romantic intentions. There is a conversation she has with herself, which, you know, she's talking to herself through her phone all throughout the series, um, where it's the first time that she learns that she has become romantically involved with Alice. And the Gaku that we are see seeing in the, in the present is like, that's gross. Yeah, you're you're such a deviant, you know, and and she's, you know, an awful person. She's grossed out by the idea that she is involved with a Alice and be a girl when as time goes on, you very clearly see like, yeah, she seems like she's just, you know, repressing her sexuality. But yeah. that's not her focus because she is so hell bound on this mission that she has kind of forgotten the reason she's even on it to begin with. So it is, in a sense, both disappointing and totally understandable why the series has that shortfall. Uh, like, it wouldn't really gel if she were to explore that side of herself more, because that's the character that she is by that point in the story. So, All right. I don't know what else to say, really, on this yeah. point. As I said, like, I feel like there's going to be plenty of people who are going to read this series and be like, you guys didn't talk about this and talk about that. I'd be like, I was probably too dumb to pick up on this or no really notice that because I, 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 
I really don't get quantum physics time travel storylines very much, but I enjoyed the ride that I went on, and I feel like most people would too. Oh. Okay, so. <laughs> I hope that that's the most mentally taxing review series that I've got to go on this year because that was a bit of a... <laughs> Nick, when Hex were reading, thank God it was a thank God it was a physics like based series. Like, is it, can you imagine something that was outside my wheelhouse? <laughs> I was like, Nick, we're reading Neon Genesis Evangelion next. Oh no, <laughs> not the not theology. <laughs> oh boy! All right, let's talk about My Hero Academia, chapter number three hundred and seventy-five platitudes so we get a little bit of a flashback at the start of this series between Nagant and Chisaki uh, and essentially how he convinced her to let him come along on her snipe Deku and kill that boy mission which was um, I need you to do this so the oh no so Nagant wanted him to come along so he could ID Deku for her which I don't know how you miss Deku but okay but Chisaki says okay I'll do it on one condition and she thinks he's gonna say like well I'm not gonna take revenge for you and he replies no I've got only one thing left bring me to my boss because apparently he wants to apologize to him so uh we cut to the present, and Chisaki is freaking out about this. He's yelling from his uh, rooftop perch over in Nagant, Hey, take me to the boss! Which, she's kind of busy right now, dude. But, you know, he's just had his arms amputated. I'm sure that he's totally mentally stable. He's fine. So, Nagant uh, gets her gun arm ready, and she transforms it into this weird swollen cannon thing. And she says while doing so to Deku, your hero education taught you to hate one thing above all else. No matter who the victim is, if your own screw gets him killed, that'll keep you up at night. And so she fires a big old bullet towards Chisaki. And she's she thinks to herself, OK, you know, I'll just give him something else to have to think about. And that'll make him slow down. And then I'll finish the job. But before she can even think that thought, Deku comes slingshotting around a building using black whip and he i believe knees uh the bullet out of the air uh and we finally get a big explanation for how fajin works it turns out he's not only been swiping all of spider-man stuff he swiped a black panther ability too because he builds up kinetic en energy through repeated movements which can allow him to then store and release the energy in bursts and so he's utilizing this fajin ability in conjunction with one for all and centri centrifugal force from the whip snapping him around the building to generate a faux 100 percent burst of speed so he dashes through the air with all of this built up speed and goes faster than the bullet and just kind of shoves Chisuki out of the way. So the bullet Boom. misses him. He's everything's fine. 
I wish this had been his Gwen Stacy moment where he pushed Jasaki so hard he like broke his neck just hitting like a like a wall or something like that. Oh no. <laughs> oh no, he's dead. Oh well, I better go fight Paul Giamatti. <laughs> <laughs> Time to fight the rhino question mark. Oh, uh, oh! They thought they were getting another movie, didn't they? So, <laughs> Nick, what are you talking about? This is just six movies going to happen any day now. Any day. But we showed off all that equipment. <laughs> <laughs> there are vulture wings in there and, and other stuff. I think a venom uh, symbiote. And there was the person in the prison who wanted to know about Peter Parker. Remember? That's the new one. That Sinister Six actually might happen. Okay. That was a scorpion, yeah. Who knows? Hey, we're getting a Craven the Hunter solo movie, apparently. Sorry, I, I get I get my... <laughs> you get my, your Sinister Six teases. Mixed up. <laughs> they really <laughs> want that to happen, don't they? <laughs> so... Uh, Nagant is like, holy shit, how did he catch up to my shot? And then she realizes Hewitt was actually already shifting his trajectory as I was aiming and firing. Uh, Deku's not done. He now uses the black whips to get a hold on the building ledge. He just shot himself over so that he can, I guess, rebound back is what's going on here. Uh So... Um, we get a explanation for how he executed this. It It's not really important to me. He turned off a few quirks so he could focus on only using so many of them at a time. And that increased his efficiency. Okay, fine. Uh, anyhow, he's still got one, uh, black Panther suit leg full of built up, uh, kinetic energy. So he uses that to propel himself back the direction that he came and launches a Manchester smash at full 100% and uh, basically completely shatters uh, Nagant's gun arm. And so he thinks, ah, I've broken the barrel, so it's over. Can't finish me off. And uh, Nagant's just kind of blown away by this whole performance. And she's like, geez, he recognized the that that guy that I was targeting was an enemy and he still went and saved him. And as she's falling, because she's been beaten, basically, up at this point, when was it? When did the platitude start making me want to puke? Because she was talking about, in reference to her bosses telling her to go assassinate people, and then telling her, good job on killing those people. Yeah, you've made the world a safer place. So, she falls because, um... I guess she's so beaten that her float quirk's not working anymore. She can't airwalk, I guess. Whatever. Deku catches her because he's a good boy. And uh, he says that he realized, you know, that shot you fired at Jisaki was off by a little bit. If you really were allied with All for One and his brand of evil, your very first shot would have hit my lower, lower body and would have stopped me cold. You've known real darkness. So you gotta know there's a way to bring back the light. Okay, Deku. <laughs> All right, Sora from Kingdom Hearts. Big old nerd. <laughs> so he he says Nagant, "Hey, you should you know join up with us. I, you're still a hero deep down. I know you are." And Nagant looks at Deku's arm because he's pretty beat up from the whole experience, yeah. 
And she thinks back on all the stuff that he did, all the stuff that he fought through and still made sure to save the person trying to kill him and a former enemy. And she smiles up at Deku will think, wow, what a guy. You're the real deal. And she explodes. <laughs> so it turns out all for one's a big asshole. Wait, what? <laughs> this guy. So he says to. Um, I don't know. He says <laughs> to himself. <laughs> like bad guys do. He says. The soul is far too fickle, which is why I added a failure clause to your contract. And uh, he had turned her into a bomb with his quirk-granting ability somehow. So the bomb Nagant goes off. She's still in one piece somehow, because that's how bomb quirks work, I guess. <laughs> but uh, she's falling down again. And uh, all for one inside of her soul i guess maybe because he granted her a quirk maybe he's mocking her from within i don't know says to the very end you were just a tool to be used curse your blessing of a quirk if you must alas the hapless woeful lady nagant he doesn't get to finish that sentence because hawks is there and he saves nagant from falling and a chapter <laughs> i'm so so, there's two things I have with this chapter. Okay. One is Deku's little speech, which is so hollow and worthless. Like, Lady of God's like, you know, there's real structural issues, like, with the way hero organizations have been instituted and sort of, like, grouped together in our society. And those problems run deep. And I've now brought those up to you, Deku. What will you do? And he's just like, you should be a good guy again. And that's like the end of the conference. Like, I know that we're probably not going to get the large scale like Deku. Can you fix the systemic issues in here? Society issues right here. But the fact that like it feels very unspecific to her, like his whole speech, it feels like it should have been another one of those platitudes that she should have been like lame. Like right afterwards, like you suck. <laughs> What if she was instead of going like, wow, you're the real deal. She was just kind of like, that was really lame. And you don't seem to have a full grasp of the situation, but you seem like a nice kid. (laughs) Second, I'm very annoyed if she is alive because what the fuck was the point of blowing her up? I don't, all right. I don't want to get to this. What the fuck did he do? Cause somebody's like, oh, he implanted like a, a like a suicide quirk in her or something. So it blows up and it, you know, it hurts her. And it's like, but the implication at the end is that Hawks showed up and grabbed her and thus she's okay. So would the dangerous part been if she exploded and then fell? Is that the part that how like it's just one of those things of like this didn't feel like you actually did have a failure clause in your contract at all, all for one. It feels like you just made something up at the last year. Oh, she fucked up. Uh, uh, all according to plan. She'll explode now. Kaboom. And then you activated her wily coyote dynamite quirk that just turns her skin tone a certain shade of like burned brown for a little bit. And then, you know, she'll fall down. What if she were, she had been like, yeah, I'm not. I don't really trust this airwalk quirk, so I'm just gonna like snipe from a single perch, and then you know the bomb goes off, and she's like, "Ah, I fell two feet." <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Personally, I 
would have probably been more annoyed if they we had gone this sequence and then she had just died after we had spent so long getting to know her. But I totally understand your standpoint of like, what's the point of having her blow up if she's just going to be okay? Afterwards? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> do it or don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing here at this point. Uh, we're establishing that all for one is a bad guy. Yeah, I mean, I didn't need that. I mean, I do actually kind of like that. He was just like, oh, I hired this assassin and she failed. So guess what? She's going to die. I was like, yeah, I get it. He's an asshole. Like, and also, you know, I don't really need a whole bunch of new characters in this series. I have trouble keeping track of the ones we have. Uh, Listen, uh, <laughs> I'll have you know that the 16th most important character in Class 1B uh, is very essential <laughs> to the story that's going to unfold in the next couple of years. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Otro's arc is coming right around the corner, guys. <laughs> He's in class 1A. Dow. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> Listen, all them Yui Kodai fans are going to have their day when she makes the thing small and or big. So there you go. All right. Uh, <laughs> I don't really have any other thoughts on this chapter. I don't. It was a cool execution of Deku's quirks. I like that part. It was pretty dope. I like the point where he went zoom, zoom. <laughs> yeah, zip, zip. That was, that was pretty sweet. <laughs> All right. All Speaking right. of zoom, zooming around. Yeah. Let's talk about Undead Unluck number 66. That is the truth. So we pick up right where we left off, where uh, Shen has uh, seemingly kind of gotten the upper hand on Fang and just says, you're strong, maybe the strongest in the world, but you know what? That's all you are. And Fang tries to start talking like, hatred does indeed make you, and he just gets punched in the face. And he's like, what the fuck? Why did, why did that, why did that happen? And he even says that out loud. He's like, he just keeps getting punched in the face, basically. And he's like, wait a minute. A moment ago, you can only change the direction of my attacks. How can now you control my leg movement? And Shen's just like, it's because you're trying to back down. So Untruth's reversing it and making you walk forward. You're afraid of us and it's <laughs> her abilities negating it. And he's like, oh, shit. He, he tries to play it off like, afraid I see my body must recognize that you finally, you've done this and I will have to defeat you or whatever. And Shen's like, it's not hatred. It's love. Stupid. Yeah. Um, it's ve- there's a lot of really cute little touches in this, like how uh, Mui and Shen are like, she's, you know, like piggyback riding on him. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of hand holding and stuff. Yeah. But it's like. Shen finally self-actualized and he's, you know, completed a big part of his character arc. So, yeah, he said, you know, he notes, he's like, it wasn't despair or hatred that made me stronger. It said it was the one thing that saved me from it all. Love. That is the truth. And they just deliver a sequence of punches that seemingly looks like it's taken out Fang. Uh, he's at least down and on the ground. He's not unconscious, but he's like, you can band together and beat me all you want, but you will be helpless in the face of even more powerful individuals. You've strayed from the path of individual strength, which means you'll never be stronger than you are now. Absolute individual strength. And that leads us into the confrontation with Summer, who has finished transforming, and our, we get our big two-page spread sort of introduction to Summer. Boom! You should understand the importance best for all. And we're like, yep, it's reached phase two. But we have strong teammates, and who should show up at that point but Top and Chikara, who are like, hey, we're here, and I brought Chikara along. <laughs> Top's shoes have the word top written on the sole. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. This kid's lame. I just, I just want, I just want everyone to know that. Uh, in my mind, every time he shows up, the soundtrack from Sonic Adventure Two plays in my head, so I'm always okay with him showing up. <laughs> um, so they're like, "Hey, cool." They also brought Tatiana along, so mm-hmm. they have a very strong group of people here. Uh, but then Apocalypse starts laughing, and he's just like, "Ha oh, ha ha! Summer is in phase two already. You guys are done for." And Top had brought Apocalypse along. Uh, they were like, hey, uh, it's probably better if I'm just carrying it, because that way no one can get to it, basically. Like, I'm probably the safest way to handle this at this point. So, makes sense. And uh, Apocalypse just starts gloating. Like, now that Summer has evolved, none of you can beat it. Summer has the highest attack power of all the four seasons you are may. So, you just mount, must struggle and come to an end. And Top's just like... What do you mean we can't destroy it? Come on, talk. He's like, there's no way I would tell you about it, about how the scales on its stomach are now its core, and unless you destroy all of them at the same time, it'll continue to regenerate. Wait, what? Why did I, why did I say that? And uh, we used untruth on him to force him to tell the truth. It's a great moment. <laughs> I don't know why Shen covers her eyes after that point, but he does, so. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so there you go. And they're like, all right, so we have to destroy all the car cores at once, but it's okay because we have a great team. And they basically just give a description of every person who's there. And, uh, it looks like we're going to get the big showdown with summer. Now, um, yep. Fang is not presumably like he's not dead. So he may still pop up and we may still find out what his ability is. But as of the moment, he seems to be, uh, down and out. Seems like it's going to be a thing where he lives to fight another day, and maybe we'll find out later what he can do in full. Yeah, potentially. Good chapter, though. I think it was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, So, let's move over to Kaiju number eight, chapter 36. So, Kafka has been forced to fully transform in order to take on the... I feel like it's impossible to say his name without saying his full name as uh, Kikoru every time. <laughs> yes, uh, Kikoru shouts out that name in distress at the start of this chapter, too. Yes. Uh, so he's been forced to fully transform into Kaiju number eight in order to block a otherwise fatal blow from the director general. Uh, but uh, after now that he's fully transformed, uh, he starts to go pretty berserk. Because, um, well, so as he roars and just goes, but, but, you know, really, really loud, like shattering, like windows and walls loud, um, something has gone wrong. And Kafka is mentally like, I can't control myself. I can't control my body. And at this rate, I'm never going to be able to prove that I'm human. I'm acting just like a kaiju. And so in his mind space, he looks over and he sees this kind of parasitic kaiju core within him going, kill, kaiju, kill. Which is very interesting. Uh Uh, So he goes after the director general uh, and is just insanely (laughs) fast and unpredictable, growing, you know, jet turbines in his limbs and stuff to attack quickly. Uh, and the director general dodges some of his attacks, and then he just snaps his entire spine around so that he can attack more quickly. Uh, and 
the director general is just like he's self mutilating himself so that he can attack more quickly, and then just using regeneration as a failsafe from there. So, yeah, it's going pretty crazy. Yeah. Kafka again tries to stop himself, but Kaiju Number Eight launches a JoJo flurry of of punches at the director general, who's just kind of forced to turtle and try and block. Um, and he's just like, I'd be dead if not for this shield. Uh, he kind of launches out a kick to trip up Kaiju Number Eight, and then tries to launch a full force rocket punch. Uh, and um, some dude with an eye with an eye patch is like. Oh, thing about why it's a powerful punch. Uh, <laughs> but he thinks that he has pierced through the core, but instead, Kaiju number eight ejected its core and grew another Kaiju number eight. Like you do. Yeah. Hey, that's just, um, it's, it's called budding, I believe. It's, uh, very similar to the um, Chainsaw Man thing. I just ripped out my heart and threw myself back down to Earth. Yeah, it's pretty dope. So this new Kafka, uh, Kafka Kaiju number eight body um, keeps on punching the director general. They do like a cross counter thing. Their punches deflect into each other, which causes like the entire room around them to start crackling and crumbling. Uh, and everyone's like, how the hell is this happening? This is this is ridiculous. And Kikoru is like, this is what happens when you cross time and have two identified kaiju. Kaiju number two and number eight clashing head to head. And there's this big two page spread of like the two monsters facing down against each other instead of, you know, two dudes. Uh-huh. Uh, and then some guy who's with Kikoru is like, you know, this is kind of odd. If the director general really planned on killing him, he would have been better off taking him out with his first attack while number eight was in human form. It almost seems as if he's purposely pushing number eight to test him. Ooh. And then he's like, I don't know why he's doing that, though. So Yeah. Only moderately helpful. Yeah. Well, everyone's just like, hmm, who knows? And in his mind, he's just like, oh, I like this kaiju guy so much. I hope he's okay. Kikaru thinks that maybe he's giving Kafka, sorry, Kafka Hibino, a chance to survive. <laughs> I like me. Is this like a character detail I just never picked up on that she never refers to Kafka as anything but his full proper name? I believe that she has done that the entire time that you know they've known each other. But it's just that we haven't seen her shout his name in distress multiple times in a row before. Yeah. So, Kaiju number eight strikes what appears to be a very very bad blow to uh, the director general's stomach. Like it caves in his armor over his ribs, and. Uh, it looks like uh, he's going to get killed off by this thing. Uh, the bald guy is like, his fortitude is starting to surpass Isao's estimations. Bum, also, bum, Kafka's bum. not doing so good either. He kept on thinking to himself, my body's going to give out if I keep on doing this. So, Yeah. It's a good uh, the chapter. I mean, I don't... I guess we have to see exactly what's happening, but I do also like the idea of like, Oh, Kafka's body kind of changes when he's fighting like these weapons because to him they're like kaiju and it's kind of a cool visual. Plus, you know, somewhere out there there's a kaiju number eight wiki that just got to update its kaiju number two page. It's like, here's what kaiju number two look like. 
Um, it seems as though there is a hint that the kaiju that is occupying Kafka is like an anti-kaiju kaiju, mm. uh, which it'll be interesting to see how that develops. But, you know, maybe they won't get along, but then they'll bond over the fact that uh, they had the same mother figure in their lives. And then they'll like still not really like each other, but they'll like do like a cool like fist pound thing with their swords. Yeah. And yeah. So. All right, let's talk about World Trigger Neck. <laughs> World Trigger. Let's talk about bedroom assignments. <laughs> the chapter. Chapter 208. The Away Mission Test Part 6. Oh my god. This is... Is Ashihara... Sensei doing this on purpose. <laughs> like, <laughs> is he trying to separate the real World Trigger <laughs> fans from just the casuals? Like, There's a couple people like, I'm done. And then like five chapters from now, he's going to be like, all right, everybody left good? All right, cool. We're going to go do the away mission now. <laughs> so, so Osamu's uh, team, Suwa team, uh, inspects the whole facility. They find that there are only two bedrooms. Uh, one is a two-bedroom bedroom. bedroom. Uh, one is a two is a one-bed bedroom. The then there is a fourth bed, which is underneath a weird, creepy hatch thing, which nobody wants to use. And and Katori is just like, I'm not. <laughs> she says, sorry, specifically, sleeping in a coffin. Miss me with that. She's so hip and cool. Look at her. She has all the lingo. But uh, then they point out, like, well, even if we use the freaking box bed thing, there's only four beds. And then it turns out eventually that, like, the leader of the team gets their own room so that they can, you know, masturbate in private. I don't know. Well, it's it's the operator gets their own room. Operator gets their own. Yeah. So they can, yes, the operator gets their own room so that they can actually write up reports on everyone mm -hmm. without worrying about the try on for the facility running out in the middle of them writing reports for the day. So, and then they're like, and we've got food and a kitchen and there's only so much food that we actually have. And even if we eat lightly, we're, we don't have enough to last the whole week. What's with that? Oh, it turns out we have ingredients to make our own stuff. We can make bread, but the, vendors are really weird and slow for some reason that is still not explained in this chapter just yet but they're like okay we can make enough bread to actually last the whole week so we're good uh i guarantee they just fuck something up too i guarantee it because osamu like turns the dial back. and they're like well, we'll just crank it to max and come back later there's definitely gonna be some like oh that was draining your try on the entire or something there's gonna be something to just fuck them up on that uh, then they find out that they need to pass a bunch of questions and turn them in. And there's also a way to play League of Legends with the other teams. <laughs> You're not wrong. They, they definitely are like, yeah, it's not a real fight, but it's like a virtual fight we'll have with each other. Um, so Katori takes the stance because she really doesn't want to answer the questions. 
But she brings up the very logical thing of like, well, everyone can actually answer the question. So there's only so much advantage you can actually gain over any other team by just answering questions. But if you participate in the battle sim uh, exercises, then that's a way to gain a huge advantage over the other teams. Because, you know, it's, you know, all all the points are won by the winning team in each of these simmed battles. Uh, so that's the argument that she makes. But they're still like, you still have to freaking answer your questions. Like we, some of these are required. And then we've got extra ones that we've got to try and get as well. Then that's when the operator thing comes up with the bed. Katori's like, I want my own room. And then it turns out that they have to rotate who uses the coffin bed thing. So like all of them have to use it at some point. And then we get an introduction to what some of the questions are. And some of them are like, what are all these countries on this map? But some of them are like, what would you do in this scenario? Uh -huh. So it's like, there's no correct answer to, to certain questions, basically. Uh, and uh, so they go over this. And then Justice Katori is getting too bored to answer any more goddamn questions. They get a special assignment. And Sua forwards it to the rest of the team. And they're like... What the hell is this? And that's the end of the chapter. There are some details that we we jumped over that I, <laughs> I, I do like. Um, this specifically kind of brought up at some point where Katori is just like, why the fuck am I even doing this? I'm not going on the away mission. And they're just like, yeah. why not? She's like, because if my team's not going, I'm not going. And the only... A rank team or B rank teams that can go are you guys basically. So it's like, yeah. what's what's even the point of me doing all this? So I do like a lot of those details, but it is great that we end on like maybe the shittiest fucking way you could end with that. Be like, we've got a special assignment. Click to open document, huh? And it's fucking credits. It's like, hey, we'll see you guys in July. Like, fuck you, goddamn it! I want to see it now. It is an interesting fold to Katori's personality because, like, you definitely got the impression before this point that she maybe cared about one person on her squad, uh, but was otherwise very self-centered. Um, so to, to hear her say, like, yeah, I would only go with my own squad is is interesting to learn. So, yeah, uh, it's it's a very funny chapter. You said it best. You're just like, Who, is Ashihara fucking with us? Because so much of the chapter is just like. All right, here's how the beds work. <laughs> here's how we're gonna ration out food. Like, holy shit! All right, um, we are part. We are two thirds of the way through day one. <laughs> uh, all right, Nick, let's talk about Eaton Zero real quick. Chapter one forty six. Before we part, and this is Laguna's cover, and Laguna's special like stat block is stiletto heels. Which, to be fair, he's rocking some pretty good ones right there. Five out of five stars, you know? Good for him. Um, his... I don't think that that shirt goes with the rest of the outfit, but otherwise. It's all very edgy. Um, so I guess it all works. Whatever. I don't know. It's, it's just the checkerboard X in the middle of the shirt that uh, throws me. Well, so. Laguna, here's the thing, and this is actually something I, I read about recently. Uh, Laguna is actually a huge fan of Ska. Uh, so Laguna is uh, the name of the lead singer of uh, Real Big Fish. I think of a ska band off the top of my head. 
And uh, that's what this is a reference to. So he uses those to skank it, which is tough, considering he's wearing five-star heels. But he does it. Also, if he skanks too hard, then his <laughs> his heels get stuck on the straps dangling from his pants. And he's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a dangerous life, but that's that's what Laguna does. He's, he's, he's pretty cool like that. Uh, so we open with uh, Jin, who's shown up. And he sees a body of, ro- like, a pile of robots and Shiki underneath. He's like, how did someone survive an explosion like that? And Shiki's crying. I don't know why we cut away from that scene so we can cut over to Hamura, who is activated overdrive and uh, essentially is one, but she hasn't officially won yet. Uh, Milani will jump forward and attack a bunch, and then Hamura will just defeat her. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was, it was very essential that we uh, pad out this fight by... Uh... Five more pages. Yeah. So. And Hamora gives like a whole thing where she's just like, you lied. Androids do have lives because they have souls. And Milani starts crying because she's like, I know androids have lives. And what Prince Sure is doing is wrong. I actually loved Saika, the robot who was killed. And he was like a grandfather to me. I couldn't do anything. <laughs> and you're just like, why are we getting this now? Who gives a fuck? You're never going to show up again. <laughs> This is the best part to give a villain some backstory. Well, they've already lost, so let me tell you why they weren't all bad. Okay. <laughs> uh, she even like she's like, "Why am I telling you this?" And her voice like, "Because mirrors reflect one's truth." And I'm like, "Why did the mirror person?" <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Also, why would the mirror person not know this? <laughs> anyway, we cut back and. Again, I don't know why we didn't just stay on the scene because it's Shiki responding to why he's crying is a flashback to right before the robot exploded. All the other robots jumped on top of him and basically shielded him with their bodies because they're like, we don't want to die, but we're programmed to self-destruct. So you care about robots. You're not like master. Let's protect you. And even the robot that's about to explode is like, I don't want to die. <laughs> and then he explodes. <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> and Shiki cries because he's like they were protecting me and then he runs back to Eden Zero we get there we see Sister and, and Hermit are, are really broken up like Sister's lo- like missing a leg and Hermit has one of her arms ripped off it's a pretty gruesome scene they're just like wait what happened here and Hermit's just like he took witch and we end the chapter with Shura being evil, and he's chained a robot up, and he's like, come and play. We're friends, aren't we? And uh, I've heard some people try to argue, like discuss this. They're like, why did he take Witch? And the consensus is like, there's something about her that's essential to his plans. Or two, she's the one who looks the most uh, seductive when chained up or something. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but that's how the chapter ends. He's like, all right. Cool or- beans. He'll try and torture her, but then she'll just be like, ah, oh, this isn't this is nothing because I'm the, you know, super S and M figure. That's the so. thing. It couldn't be sister. Yeah. She would she would be all about this, you know. Even though oh, she... right, it's Witch. Yeah. It's Sorry. Witch. I got them I got them confused because Witch doesn't have her mask on right yeah. now. So. Uh so anyway. <laughs> um... it's, it's just it was the moment where it's like Grandpa, I loved him, and you're just like, I don't want to die. <laughs> it's like you couldn't have picked a worse oh, I love how all the villains are either unrepentantly evil 
<laughs> or are actually just good people who happen to be on the wrong side, and they'll totally just be good people the next time we see them. There's no in-between. Yeah. Like, there can't be anyone who is a complicated villain who is still just a, an out-and-out villain. They have to be all evil or just misguided, and they need to be Shiki's friend. Yeah. Like, it's... It, it's like I just I stop and I think and I'm like, how much more invested and interested would I have been in a Milani Hamora fight if we had learned that Milani had complicated, conflicted feelings about what she's doing and the death of Psyche prior to this? Like this, like, yeah. you get, like it really changes everything. But it's like, who gives a shit? She's fucking beaten. We'll never see this character again, probably. Yeah, and that's I mean, it is really, it's it's. One of my big pet peeves when it comes to a lot of Shonen action is the last minute villain villain sympathy card thing. Mm. When it's like, they would have been so much more interesting if you had done a little bit of this before. I understand, you know, you want people to not sympathize with them too much during the actual fight. And then you really push it home after they've been beaten and you can feel sad when they're dying or whatever. But this is just like, she had zero character Oh, I've been defeated. I felt bad about my grandpa figure being <laughs> killed. Also, he was my grandpa figure. Yeah. You didn't know that. <laughs> Turns out he was like a grandfather to all of us. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. But uh, it's okay. We're past Eden Zero, which means that I have nothing else negative to say about any of the series we're talking about today. Mick, we're anyway, talking about I Telcino. Fuck. So, <laughs> Chapter 18 Demand. Sorry, I just remembered how this chapter ends. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mar admits, yes. She's like, where did you learn? I'm sorry, the way this is fucking worded, it's, it just gets me so bad. Where did you learn that I'm Garu Kaizuka's granddaughter, Mamie Kaizuka? <laughs> Who talks about themselves this way? So, uh, Ms. Ioe just says, like, well, you frequently target his work, so I figured there was a reason behind it, so I looked up some stuff on him. And so, we see that, like, while Sakan was sleeping, because lifting weights was not involved, uh, she was looking up some stuff, and so she saw the article about Garo and his family, and she's like, wait a minute, look at this. And so, she's like, they're with, pictured with him was his family. And there was his granddaughter, which was you. And I could tell it was you because you have the same hair color, I guess. So Nick, how would you possibly tell? You like, yeah, there was a picture of me that long ago, but so much of me has changed since then. Like, there's a texture effect that's now placed over my hair that makes it look like it shimmers. Fortunately, you were wearing the same earrings. <laughs> and Mars like yeah, that was when I was 10. I don't look anything like that now. I'm like, yeah, she's got a point. Like, her hair styled differently, and, she, and it's all gleamy now and stuff. And I was like, I think your eyes, the bridge of your nose, and your earlobe still have traces of what you looked like back then. Okay, fine. She's, she's crazy. That's how she gets it. Fine. Whatever. Yeah. And she says, as long as I have love, I can tell no matter how many years pass. Don't say you fell in love with her as a 10-year-old. <laughs> oh, no. It's we never learn all over again. So... But she admits, I wasn't 100% sure, so I narrowed my research to your family, 
including Mr. Garo's son, who was also a painter, is he self-published a single art book, Mart. (laughs) And the cover model was his own daughter. And so it was difficult. And she's like, I had a hard time getting my hands on this because it had a small print run. Uh, and because he wasn't as famous as his father was, and he passed away not long after the book was published. And you're the Phantom Thief Mar for your father, aren't you? And so Mar is just like, yes, I wanted to be my dad's greatest masterpiece. And she flashes back to six years ago after she modeled for that cover. She looks nothing like she does now, Nick. What are you talking about? That could be a completely different character. Well, her hair is not shiny. <laughs> yeah, again, the they just didn't put a texture over her hair to make it look like it shines. <laughs> so she's just like, "Can I go now, Dad?" After you know posing, and so she's she's gonna she's gonna leave, and she says, "Hey, you know, make sure to take care of yourself and everything." And uh, he says, "Well, I haven't put the finishing touches on it. This painting of you will help me gain father's approval for sure this time." Because you're the world's most beautiful girl. So in theory, that will make this the world's most beautiful painting. And she's just like, okay, God, that would be creepy to me and stuff. But Dad had his mind polluted by him. And we see Garo looking over the painting of his own granddaughter and say, repulsive. Gross. Ew. Girls. (laughs) And so his son's like, but I've captured so much of her beauty. And Garo says, therein lies the issue. Love creates false images. It conveniently beautifies the subject. Paintings done through love are not truly beautiful. Their beauty is a sham. So he's a great artist. So, um, Also, the sky's not purple, so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he says, love does one's brush. Never love anyone, not even your own <laughs> child. I birthed you into existence out of pure hate and rage against the world. You have no mother. Your mother is anger. So Mara tried to reassure her dad, and she's like, you just have to prove him wrong. You know, have a solo exhibit. And she says in narration, seeing my dad paint to gain the man's recognition was a sight I couldn't bear to watch. But things weren't so simple. And so he just kept on throwing himself into his work after that point. And then Garo died. And uh, Mara was just kind of like, yeah, I felt kind of relieved because now I felt like he was going to be free. He'll, He'll never contaminate him again. And then he ha- he hung himself. Yeah. Because he realized this would mean that he could never earn his father's approval because he died before he could earn it. Yay. So Mar found her dad's hanging corpse. Yay. <laughs> um and uh i so, want like but this is like in the past so i want like an origin story like in the background you just hear somebody like free protein bar on the ground this is gonna change my life and <laughs> say like just to make sure he was around <laughs> <laughs> oh boy so she then looked through her father's artwork all of her 
all of his uh, pieces had been defaced except for one. The painting of me was nowhere to be found. Did he throw it away? No, he would never. That was a symbol of his love. It must be out there somewhere. I wanted to believe. Believe that he left his symbol of love behind for me. And uh, she says, I want to find it. And I want to make that painting his greatest masterpiece. And to do that, I myself must become even more beautiful. And uh, so that's why she becomes the Phantom Thief Mar, so that she can make herself the most beautiful that she can possibly be through growing her reputation and accomplishing beautiful things. And eventually she developed her reputation that way. And so in the present, she admits, half the reason I stole into face paintings was as revenge against Garo Kaizuka. I stole other painters first to make sure no one connected the dots, but you figured it out anyway. And then I always like, oh, okay. And that's why you revealed your face afterwards. So then you could find the painting that by using your own face as a wanted poster. So Mar says, yes, I took, I collected followers. If I told them that a painting existed, then they do anything to track it down. That painting my dad made, it'll be the greatest masterpiece sought after by all. Even I admit it's trite, a truly trite motive, which is why I don't plan on getting caught yet. Not until I find that painting. And she's like leaning over Ayoi with her gun pointed in her face. And Ayo just glares up at her and says, don't call it trite. If your heart demands something, you should be the last person to deny it. And Mara's a little taken aback by this. But then she says, you truly are a beautiful little lady. But now it's time to say goodbye. Don't chase after me, Ms. Detective. Which she says right before shooting the gun, so... Well, she definitely unloaded it into something else, because it... Although it would be hilarious if she was like, don't come after me, and then shot her in the fucking forehead. (laughs) Don't go anywhere as you chop off their neck. (laughs) All right, good. (laughs) That's what I thought. So, as far as chapters of I Tell C go actually makes a lot of sense and I kind of dug it Um, and if this had been part of a much better series I would have actually probably quite enjoyed this as an explanation for how how this you know criminal got to this point and uh, you know in typical fashion for this series makes them out to be more sympathetic than they probably deserve to be made out to be Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't really have a lot to say about it because yeah, there are little bits of it that are like, well, that's kind of stupid and way over the top, but it was fine. Again, this is probably the villain that we should have opened the series tackling because it's a lot easier to justify why this person is going around stealing paintings of her shitty grandfather and defacing them as opposed to like, I used to cut off people's hands because my mom's gone or something like that. Like It's, it's a yeah. lot easier of an uphill climb that way. And now I'll redeem myself by saving you. <laughs> I've murdered dozens of people. <laughs> Countless people have died by my hatchet. <laughs> yeah, so. Okay. Yeah. Chapter 46 of Magu-chan Got a Destruction. Special lecture at the Holy Knighthood Branch Office. Uh, so, Izuma is a dumb dummy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So we need to have a study cram session 
with all of the gods there to help him learn things, including Magu wearing a motorboard. So, yeah, damn straight. Happy for him. I'm not sure what the device is that Magu's got. Uh, not Magu, but uh, Naputaku. It might be an abacus, though, which is pretty silly. So, the reason that they're doing this is because the one teacher who is part of the Chaos Cult uh, is going to horribly punish anyone who doesn't get at least a 30 on all their exams, and they won't be able to attend club activities. So. And uh, he like is like laughing evilly when he makes this announcement, which is not weird at all. Uh, so they need to help Izuma pass. Um, the girls have gone off into their own study group to help out Yuika, who is the worst student. And so Ren's like, God damn it, why am I stuck with freaking Izuma? He's so stupid and I hate him because I don't like him getting close to Ruru. You know, typical yeah. stuff. Uh, they... Test out Izuma. He's not very good. He just does not know anything because he's dedicated his entire life to fighting chaos gods. And also he can defy the laws of physics and science with magic. So he's not very good on, you know, what that stuff is. So the gods take turns trying to teach him stuff. So like Magu's like, I shall understand the lowly human studies. And he opens up a book and he's like, the content is of such an inferior level, I cannot even decipher what the questions are asking. So, he's so far beyond the material that he's actually stupid. You know. So. Yeah. Uh, Oneris is there. We almost made it to three chapters. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying Oneris is a problem, but I enjoyed this chapter significantly less than the past couple. And she was in it, so. Yep. I mean, what, what am I going to Actually, the chapter's fine. But... <laughs> Yeah, she is also terrible at teaching because uh, of the whole she just uses magic stuff. Uh, so Nuputaku is up and he tries to act all smart because he's got a pair of glasses, which he adjusts like a super smart person it is does. The best shot of the entire chapter. He's so fucking smug. It's great. <laughs> I guess it's time that I took the floor. <laughs> and so his his way of teaching Izuma is just going to be. I'll just be somewhere with all the answers and I'll use my telepathic power frenzied whisper to tell you the answers. I mean, it sounds like a really solid plan to me, admittedly. Jackie but brings up a good point. That isn't even where Naputaku's eyes are. <laughs> Why is he wearing glasses? <laughs> so that he can adjust them the way a smart person does. Um, but... Uh, Izuma is completely against this idea because he's too pure and goody-goody. And he's like, I'll master my studies with my own power. Um, so uh, he refuses to, you know, do anything except, you know, just like study his ass off. But hours later, he's still only getting like a 13 on the practice test. Uh, Ruru comes in and she starts like, Offering to help out uh, Izuma with his studies, which of course makes Ren mad. But then after Ruru leaves, uh, Ren's just like, "Why the hell am I, you know, freaking here in the first place? Why, why am I here with this guy? He's such an asshole." Uh, and he starts to have like Angel Uneris and Devil Uneris on his shoulder, telling him to do two different things. Uh, and uh, he's like, "If I don't help him, then he won't be able to come to the occult club, which means he won't be able to hang out with Ruru anymore." 
But then he, after he considers this, he asks Izuma, hey, what do you think about Ruru? And we cut away from there. Two weeks later, Izuma gets results back of the test, and he managed to just barely pass. And uh, so all that hard work has paid off, and uh, he's got Ren to thank for it, because Ren really helped him out. Uh, and he's like, yeah, I didn't really do anything special. He's bad at memorizing things, so I just adjusted how I taught him the information, which was essentially using the gods as props to demonstrate different uh, scientific principles. Um, and so Rue's like, oh, wow, that was really insightful of you. And, you know, I, I, I guess that you guys are, are closer now. And Ren doesn't really answer her, but he thinks about when he asked, you know, hey, what do you feel about Rue? And Izumo was just a very, you know, nice kid about it and said, she's a strong human that I cannot hold a candle to. I have the utmost respect for her. It's like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. And Ren concludes from this, and he says this to Ruru, he's annoying, but he's not a bad guy. So Izuma offers to, you know, like repay him somehow. And he says, you're my teacher now. Let me call you master. And of course, Ren's just like, don't, no, stop, no. Uh, and then we cut over to the chaos cult teacher who is, uh, just like Izuma has avoided a failing grade all according to plan. I've done it. Lord Muscar. I took one ignorant, foolish human and guide him along the path to enlightenment. And there's just a little narration caption that says the chaos cult is very committed to education. <laughs> I do. Honestly, really like that as the end that this entire stupid plan, like this entire kind of dumb chapter was ultimately just like the educator being like I wanted the students to learn <laughs> it's like I don't know it's just so dumb and honest that I like it like there wasn't like an, like an evil ulterior motive he's just like success a student has bettered themselves ha <laughs> <laughs> my evil teaching ways <laughs> I don't know it's pretty adorable um yeah I it's this chapter wasn't as good as the past couple that we've had from Magu, but it was okay, yeah. I guess. That's so. a good way of saying it. Yeah. Ah, Nine Dragons Ball Parade. Chapter 16. The Black Dragon takes off. Yep, that's what it does. It's going to take off out of this magazine in about four weeks. <laughs> no, what are you talking about? Just because it's doing terribly in volume sales and it's in the back of the magazine every week, there's no reason to believe that it's going to be it's on out the door as soon as new manga hit, hit Shonen Jump. And there's already now two other sports manga basically in the magazine between Blue Box and High School Family, which has basically just become a sports manga. Yeah, it turns out that the whole thing about Blue Box is that it's just actually a sports manga. <laughs> yeah. So... By the way, uh, there's a problem if we're going to end this series, which is the baseball team doesn't have nine <laughs> members yet. Just kidding. Now it does. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> like fucking Jeff, Chuck, and Hugh show up. And they're just like, can we join the team? It's like, yep. Slap, slap. You'll be the bench. <laughs> well, no, two of them have to be starters because that's they need two mean. more outfielders. <laughs> yeah, they, I, well, that's what I like. It's like two of them join. And then there's like one guy like, hey, you're going to be the person Corinne's going to talk to about the game. Or at least you would have if we got the time to play any. <laughs> uh, and they play some practice games and they're winning some practice games. And we go through April and May and June. And now it's July. This is how years progress. Mm -hmm. 
This is how natural time would progress uh, when a series does not have any looming deadlines ahead of them. <laughs> They're going to play a game against Kugajima, and it's hot out. Oh boy, it's July. And we get introduced to Kugajima with all of its memorable characters, who all have the same mean eyebrows. <laughs> Uh, and they're like, they don't, those Kokuryuzan guys don't stand a chance against us. We're going to win. And all the people have come out in support of Kugajima. And they're like, yeah, rallies and drums and woo. We're going to go kick those Kokuryuzan guys' asses. And the Kokuryuzan team has like a really ominous walking down the game tunnel walk up. And we don't get a, fi- a we don't, we only see people in profile. We don't see their faces or anything like that. And everyone's like, we're ready. And Tsubaki rushes out to greet his adoring fans. And he's like, it's me, the one you've all been waiting for. And everyone's like, they're the away team. We have no idea who that is. <laughs> so. That's that would have been a way funnier line if somebody had actually said that. I know that's the implication, but it's a great line if like somebody had just be like, you know, we're the away team, right? <laughs> uh, Tsurugi grabs him by the ear because he's being embarrassing and stuff. Yeah. Uh, nervous boy is nervous. That's his character trait that we've been able to establish so far. Uh, there were no larger implications, by the way, to him Googling, is Coco Ryuzan going to be okay? He was just like, oh, is this thing going to explode? Yeah. Uh, good teamwork guy is uh, encouraging good teamwork. Uh, and uh, Ryudo says, we're in good form while looking relaxed. Okay. Their opponents are like, what's their deal? And everyone's like, the time has come for us to begin begin our journey to the Koshian. Check out our starting lineups for this matchup. We're going to need to remember the, the batting order, okay? Uh-huh. This will be very important to memorize. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, they start to play. Uh, By the way, and- I, want, I want to note something real quick. I was really on board with Coco Ryuzan's uniforms at first, until you see it from behind. And where their number is, it's just a big white square with their number on it. And I was like, man, you really fucked up a pretty dope aesthetic with that fucking number placement. Yeah. Like, with the awesome kanji on the front stuff, this, there should be, like, really curved, ornate numbers on instead of just... just there, in, and just one. in white. I don't know why you needed to put a black number on top of a white box. I don't know. Uh, maybe because it's just much easier to mass produce the jerseys and then just slap labels on them. I guess, yeah. That I mean, it's just like a sticker, essentially. Yeah. Ryudo's a good pitcher. Woo! Fastballs. Woo! Woo! Hey! Other people are talented too. Woo! Subaki's good leadoff batter, and he's got he's good shortstop. And Sarugi, he hits the balls good. And Kokoryu's on. Oh, they won eight nothing. Yeah! <laughs> I'm so glad we memorized that starting lineup. Uh, man, I'm so glad that we got that payoff to. Uh, Cleanup hitter catcher Kihara fourth in the lineup. Uh, it, it was very essential to learn that guy's name. So, yeah, uh, we had to be introduced to these guys because Dick, these are important characters. Um, in fact, you might even say this might have been a significant matchup if this series uh, didn't have about four weeks to, <laughs> to win baseball. Um, so you know, it's a. Uh, Maybe these characters had a lot of deep layers. Maybe one of them had a robot that was like a grandfather to them, but we didn't know until after the game when one of them said, they're like, my robot grandpa's dead and I'm sad. 
It would have been recurring opponents like the the NASA shuttles or something like that. It's like, oh, you know, yeah, uh, you know, we we got that really big game out of the way, but they're still gonna, you know, be kind of like off in the background. You we'll meet them again eventually down the road. Yeah, down the road, down the line. We're rivals, <laughs> even though we crushed them eight to zero. We're rivals. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So that's that that yeah. that's that. It's, it's kind of hard to get it. It's kind of hard to be attached to this series anymore. Yeah, what do you mean? I'm, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be around forever, Nick. Forever. Forever. <laughs> Doctor Stone. Time to get stoned. Zeigel's 199 super alloys. <laughs> I fucking forgot about this chapter. <laughs> This chapter goes almost as quickly, honestly, as as the uh, the nine uh, dragons ball parade uh, chapter. So yeah, yeah. Um, Doctor Zeno has joined the party, and he's still very evil looking. Yep. <laughs> um. So they start whipping up some devices. Uh, he makes a thing to cool the air in order to. Uh, apply voltage to something with argon gas in it. I don't know how this freaking stuff works, but uh, yeah, they also go around. They're hunting for freaking ore deposits in the mountains using a Geiger counter. Hooray! So that's what he was creating. They grab some ore from the mountains with, of course, their muscle team digging into the mountain while Chrome hunts around for stuff using the detector. Uh, then they raise the Perseus from the sea after they've collected some ore and Kaseki has all of two panels to be really, really upset about the Perseus being sunk and rusted over and then saying, don't worry, we'll revive it better than ever. And then everyone's tearing it apart because they need the scrap metal for other stuff. Aww. Uh, Poor Kaseki. Yeah. And uh, Senku explains that by using all this metal, they can combine it with other stuff in order to create super alloys, which are... Um, portrayed as a giant mecha. Yeah. Uh, and Its uh, initials are DR, which I assume is spelling doctor. I believe so. But no one is a doctor. Zeno's a doctor. Is it? Is it? I guess it's his city, so I guess that's why. That's why it's kind of an evil-looking robot. It's all coming together. I was like, is it supposed to be spelling itself? Where's the S? And I was looking... All sorts of places. Weirdly, a long time at the crotch, which is something I'm going to have to unpack later. But <laughs> why is this robot so hot to me? So uh, then they start kind of walking through what they're going to make from the metal from the ship, uh, which is they're taking iron and then tossing in broken bits of chrome, which causes Suika to very briefly freak out because she thinks that they're going to throw chrome into this boiling pot of molten metal but they're like no 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 no, no. like chrome chrome like bits of chrome uh and from this they are able to create stainless steel which of course will not corrode or rust so hooray and uh they're like okay what can we make with all this stuff and senku says from this we can make canned food <laughs> and everyone's like Okay. Uh, <laughs> who cares? Like, 
but it's but they make a deal. bunch of canned food. Yeah. And uh, also they make knives and stuff. Uh, and so Kohaku realizes, oh, okay. So with all this stuff, that means we can actually stop worrying about population control. We'll have enough food to supply everyone now that we have this technology. Uh, and uh, Chrome also, and Chrome said, yeah, we also need this stuff for the rocket ship too. So, so they start reviving more people. Uh, they revive pretty much everyone from Zeno's group except Stanley. Which means the boring characters no one gave a shit about. MMA girl and catsuit girl. Yes. Yes. Look at how... That's gotta be uncomfortable, okay? Her... They're going out to different sides. <laughs> yes. Like, it'd be a... it's a catsuit. Mm-hmm. Like, it can't be comfortable. That's... Okay, so... Uh, so they kind of bring everyone up to speed on what they're doing, and Zeno is like, yes, join us and stuff. Fortunately, we're just kind of like skipping past all the dialogue that would happen here. It's all just, you know, dialogue-free panels and, and stuff. And uh, so we get a little bit of a power between Senku and Ryusui and uh, Zeno about what they need to do. And so Zeno proposes, shall we divide and conquer? I craft the rocket engine, you build the new Perseus. And Senku says, yeah, we don't really have time on our side. So the two science pros can't work together, buddy, buddy. Uh, and uh, the, so they're, they agree to this. Zeno looks at the can, some of the canned food and he says, the stainless steel we've made is only level one. If we have any hope of reaching Y-Man via spacecraft, we, we require far superior super alloys. And he makes this bizarre contraption that will convert nickel to gas and purify it, which will allow them to create even better super alloys. Uh, don't breathe it in. It creates a fatal toxin. It is gas, gaseous metal. So, yes. Um, so while they're going over this and how freaking dangerous this is and how, you know, a gas mask wouldn't stop it, uh, he says, reaching for outer space will require more resources as we continue across our scientific roadmap. Poisons and other horrors are inevitable, and lesser minds are sure to criticize us for dabbling with such forces. This journey demands a villain, and I shall happily accept that role. A science user of darkness. <laughs> it's the most fucking extra bullshit. I love it so much, because the darkness is just like, oh, I'm working with stuff that's kind of dangerous. Like He's not like experimenting on children or something like that. Like he's just like I'm working with chemicals that could be toxic. Someone thought out Stanley. He's, he 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 needs his boy with him. Okay, <laughs> he's he's acting out, and he needs someone to assure him that he is just fine without pretending to be a science user of darkness. Okay, I want like someone else to be like, you know, we already figured out sulfur. So wouldn't that have made us dark scientists? He's like, no. No, no, a gas mask can block that. Yeah, this is darker than dark. (laughs) I don't know. Have you seen, like, the creepy, like, monster woman form that the gas takes? I don't think you have. Yeah. So (laughs) she's all pretty, and then she's scary. Yeah. Ooh. He's like, all women are scary to me. I'm like, (laughs) oh. My poor baby. What? Nothing. (laughs) 
God, I miss Stanley. <laughs> but then he goes on to say, I shall ignore the bleating of the mindless masses, leaving me free to commit to the necessary science. Meanwhile, Senku will be your science user of light, the one who leads you all into a bright future. And everyone just kind of like, I don't know, Senku's a little bit weird. Uh, he's, uh, so. Uh, but he, I, I feel like he, you know, delivers this entire monologue. <laughs> so replica brings up a great point. Senku made guns. <laughs> Oh boy! So uh, we get a little bit more of a montage as Chrome is reflecting, like, "Oh man, we're bringing together different types to create the strongest possible team." It's just like making a super alloy. Yeah, okay, you big nerd. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> and how how better to execute this than showing us our two favorite characters are different sides? Taiju and MMA girl working together. <laughs> Don't you dare besmirch Taiju by saying that about him. <laughs> it's like the idea of like my two favorite characters from opposite sides working together. Taiju and the girl who knew MMA. <laughs> and uh, we wrap up the chapter with Kohaka saying, now people from all over the globe can come together as one. Super Ally City has been founded. Look at these multi-ethnic people. Which is a little bit weird. Um... But okay, so um, now they're going to fight against the power of the fantastic with a scientist of darkness and of light. Okay, it's so it's so extra. I love it. Um, yeah. So this was a Doctor Stone chapter. Hooray! It, absolutely, it's very funny. But yeah, good, good, good times. All right, Nick, let's talk about Mashal magic and muscles. Chapter 65, Mash burned dead and running in the rain. And we get a cover page with Selwar looming over a sleeping Mash. Aw. He's got a little nightcap on. Also, his nightcap matches the pattern of his sheets, yeah. which is extra adorable. Yeah. So. I forget this character's name, but it's the guy who I believe we met back when we were introduced to all the canes. And he's flying around and... Just thinking, that, you know, what's the relationship between Mr. Wahlberg and Innocent Zero? And it's explained, society as we know it was built by one great magic user, the architect that would become the divine visionary. His power was, in a word, divine. His name was Adam. And in life, there was none who could stand up to his dark magic. Uh, apparently, Wahlberg and Innocent Zero were adam's strongest pupils now the shot has three characters uh one of them looks like Wahlberg, which and that's the one in the center so i don't know if the idea is there's also a third pupil or if the third figure is supposed to be adam um it's hard to exactly tell but we get that shot and it's like oh does that mean they're equal in power and it's like yes they if they launched an assault knowing they've got an ace up their sleeve you know, if, if Wahlberg loses this, then ooh, we cut over to the fight between the two of them up in the sky. And uh, Innocent Zero says, are you happy to see me as I am to see you? And removes his hood, and he has no face. It is a terrifying visual that reminds you again, like, oh, right. The, the, the artist for <laughs> Mashal is a really good artist. Uh, He's the Slender Man. Look out. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Wahlberg's like, oh my. And I do like that. This is here. I was like, that's not nice. You look at me like I'm some kind of monster. How about this? Would you still call me a friend if I look like this? 
and uh, their face turns into cubes and then reassembles into some kind of face. Although, uh, they appear to have more than three lines. Now, two of those would have sh- uh, shown up from activating their, I don't know, we have, I don't think we have a better name for it than Bonkai, but uh, it's an interesting thing. Although, I guess those could just be aesthetic, who knows. And uh, Wahlberg's like, you've abandoned your humanity. And he's like, oh no, I'm more human than everyone else. I have very human desires. There's no limit to my greed. Why today I expect to bring Mash Burn Dead back, and also to kill you, and uh, cast the spell Times the Living Dead, and we get a two-page spread of a bunch of dark magic stuff happening, and bleeding clocks in a coffin covered in chains and stuff, and uh, Wahlberg's just like this spell is forbidden, and we cut back down to the uh, actual fight. And Cell Wars there, he's like, you actually forgot who I am? <laughs> and I don't know why it's the best joke of the chapter. Mash is looking at him, and we see what Mash's vision looks like. And Cell Wars' face is just a creep up that's like, hey, answer me! <laughs> I always forget that Mash is insane sometimes. <laughs> Um, so Mash dodges one of his uh, Cell Wars attacks, and he's like, Ah, yes, you remember me now. I heard your friend survived. and You know, I'm after I get rid of you, I'll be sure to finish the job. And uh, casts a big space. Oh, you want me to impale you like I did to my friend? And uh, Mash basically just counters it by dodging. <laughs> he just runs across all of them. And he's like, oh, he's just running over all my magic. And then just punches Selwar right in the face. And uh, Selwar thinks, oh, last time he was barely able to hold back guy attacks. But this time. And Mash says, oh, yeah, I remember you now. You're the thorny one. But I've already seen your trick once. So, you know, it's kind of played out. <laughs> That's how the chapter ends. <sighs> um, the main thing I have to say about this chapter is I really like uh, innocent Zero's look after his face changes. It's not anything to do with like the actual design of it. I just love that it, at first it seems as though, you know, his body is shifting with the cube pattern. So like it's turning over into a new appearance, but that cube pattern with the tiles shifting is constantly happening uh-huh. uh, and it's happening all across his body. So it's like, he's kind of, constantly shifting in a few areas so it's an aesthetic that i think is really cool and uh you know bludgeon is like oh yeah there's something very wrong with this guy yeah also why is Wahlberg so fucking old and this guy looks like he's maybe 20 or whatever i mean he has time magic so the answer Mm -hmm. should be there but yeah good stuff also the visual of mash dodging all the thorns while basically doing like the Yoshi bicycle yeah. kick thing is, is pretty funny. So, all right. The elusive samurai chapter 19 defensive battle, 1334. The invasion of the village is in full swing. Uh, a few more traps get triggered. For example, they like poured some water uh, in front of the boundaries of the village and it's frozen over in the cold weather so people are slipping across the uh, very very shallow ice um, we also get briefly introduced to uh, some of the warriors that uh, they were able to recruit from nearby villages so it's not just a you know Tokiyuki's team and a bunch of children who are fighting these guys off 
uh, we also get a little diagram of the, of the, of, you know, the, uh, of an overview shot of the battle uh, and how they're, you know, holding off the forces from two different sides. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, Fubuki is analyzing all this and he says, our enemies are not average soldiers. And so we get introduced to some of the elites of this group, uh, who are, uh, some of them are very scary looking. One of them doesn't have a nose. So that's nice. I bet he's going to be the one that's going to be the strongest. We're probably going to have to deal with him last because he has the scariest appearance. Mm. And it's a joke. Komodo he dies guy. in this chapter. <laughs> they kill him Ant first. <laughs> Ant, Ant Kimono guy in the middle of the battle is like, I better put on my armor. And so he does. <laughs> Uh, and he starts cutting down soldiers that way. We're introduced, you know, properly to like, you know, the different members of his group. They're like the leaders of it and how awesome they are and stuff. Uh, the one defender of the town whose name we've actually learned, but I'm not going to bother memorizing it, is like, hey, Fubuki, what do we do? Yes, I will take direction from you, even though you are 15, because you seem to know what you're doing. So I catch on quick to who I'm supposed to listen to. So... Uh, he says the Suez sect is busy dividing our forces will ruin the defensive line so just leave this to the younger fighters and Kodro and Ayako uh, kill the noseless guy immediately they just fall upon him in a sneak attack and uh, he is very dead because I don't think you can live with that little of your neck intact basically so uh, and uh, they also, you know, uh, just, like throw it look like clusters of sand at uh, the other two leaders. Then the two of them go uh, after uh, the leader of the group. But he's wearing full armor and that's very difficult to deal with. So he just kind of like uses armor to deflect their blades and is very easily dealing with them, even though it's a two on one battle. And we get a narration that explains that. In this time, the majority of fights between two fully armored warriors never tended to reach a definitive conclusion because it was just so difficult to strike a fatal blow. Uh, and literally the guy eventually just goes, are you kids done yet? I don't kill children, but I will remove your teeth and tongues and cut the tendons in your right legs and make you slaves. But that's all. <laughs> I, I like how he's just like. What are you guys doing? You're like worth 400 bucks or something like that. Like as though they'd be like 400 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so they realize that they can't actually deal with him. So instead they turn and run and it's, and he turns and he goes to pursue them. But it turns out they're leading him into a trap because they lead him to a false wall, of which they flip around. And he's like, what the hell's happening? And he's forced into a building where he's left all alone with Tokiyuki, who is sitting calmly waiting for him and uh fubuki you know you know explains the strategy kind of mentally for our benefit saying you know ascertain how the enemy general fights before fleeing and if you think you can do it lead him there that elusive boy is sure to defeat him and uh then fubuki steps forward towards the other two remaining leaders of the bandit group and says now it's time for me to join the fight this is so much fun who wants to die first? So the training that he gave Tokyuki earlier, he mentioned that it only works in a one-on-one -on -one battle. So presumably we'll get to see that demonstrated in this fight. Uh, 
it's uh you know it's kind of like okay you know a battle scene happened but for the most part it's really just kind of for the benefit of setting up what happens the next time so yeah. it was all right but i'm gonna i'm just kind of like all right i'm waiting for the big thing to happen next time so i also like how it kind of showed off like the idea of like oh well armor was actually a lot stronger and you know that's why it's like a huge upgrade it's a big thing for these kids like well they can't take out this guy it's like oh armor is actually mm-hmm. that big of an upgrade basically all yeah. right Nick, let's talk about Black Clover, page 295, rematch, and uh, we get a a big two-page spread of all the Black Bulls wearing uh, cool black uh, formal attire. Um, I've heard some people criticize Asta's proportions, but the thing that really annoys me on this cover page is, uh, I guess, because it's formal wear, Zora can't wear a mask but he still has to like tape up his mouth or something like that. Or he's putting his hand over it. I think he has tape over his mouth though. Cause his hands look to be in his pockets. Um, that just seems very uncomfortable. We should, uh, normalize wearing, uh, edgy emo masks everywhere you go as formal wear. I believe that the implication is that he is smoking. <gasps> smoking. That's even worse for your health. Mm-hmm. Oh no. Zora, my boy, what are you doing? Um, it's an odd picture to me because it's clearly a like, look at how cool everyone looks picture. But, but they also look like they're going to face like, why are you like trying to look badass while you're going to a funeral, guys? <laughs> yeah, it's a rough it's Um. Anyway, we start off the chapter with Noel dashing forward and doing a big attack and Gaja is kind of trying to fend off uh, Lolo Pachika and uh, Vanika is just taunting like, oh, did you get stronger for me like I asked? I'm even stronger. Are you even going to be able to play with me? And uh, Noelle shows off Undine and she says, no, we're going to absolutely take you down. And we get a flashback to Noelle basically getting Undine being like, hey, um, Dean explains, like, hey, before you ultimate magic or anything else, there's a certain power you need to attain. And uh, it's Undine. And they're like, hey, um, you're really good. You could probably be a host for the water spirit. Um, but I need to explain something to you. Like, uh, an arcane stage could probably fight off Vanica, but there's a stage that only spirit hosts could contain. One that purifies malice and destroys devil called the Saint Stage. And Noelle asks a very good question. She's like, wait, if this is that useful. Then why aren't we training Yudo and, and Fuego Leon? And Dundin uh, does not explain that. She just moves straight on. And she's like, anyway, I had a very personal relationship with little Pachika who never learned any attack spells because she's a very pure-hearted person. It's very, you, you're the best of us. Uh, <laughs> I want to just come back to the well and be like, no, it feels like it's way more important that Fuego Leon is here though, because he's apparently as strong as like we are. This is, this seems like a big deal. Undine basically is just kind of lamenting like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have ever been Lola Pachika's like chosen her to be the host because she was such a kind person in the end, giving her all this power meant that she became cursed and was kidnapped. So I was wrong and I need you to help me make this mistake and noelle's like hey you know not telling her about saint stage that might have been a mistake but you did it out of kindness and being kind feeling affection for somebody how could those things ever be a mistake so 
they're going to join together. And Noelle's wearing pants for the first time in a while, it feels like. So good for her. I mean, I guess they're shorts, but still, you know, I'm happy for her. She doesn't wear pants at the end of this chapter, though, Nick, because she activates her her new form. And it's uh, Spirit Dive St. Valkyrie Armor. And, and it doesn't look as good as her last Valkyrie armor. It's a look. I don't... The butt wings are weird. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the chapter, pretty much. Um, I'm skipping over some stuff, but it's mostly just Vanica shouting about being evil yeah. and cackling. It's... It's a little bit weird because we have this explanation that Noelle's big power up is that she learned to work together with a non-human entity that's going to possess her and give her additional strength. Uh, they don't necessarily get along very well, but they have a cause that unites them uh, that makes them want to work together and that allows them to achieve this great strength. And we just got past the point where Asta just did that. Uh, it's a little bit weird to just have this whole thing saying like, yeah, we just, you know, kind of wrap up in one chapter exactly how this went down when we had the whole thing with Asta that took a little bit of time to actually establish it. It is an odd thing to have these uh, these spirits as a key element in this mm -hmm. story because they only really come up when the power boost becomes relevant, it mm -hmm. seems. And that's really it. Also, still waiting for Gnome to show up for the other other yeah. elemental one. Come so. on, guys. Who's, who's, who do you think's gonna get Gnome? We don't have anyone that really does Earth. I guess Soul does Earth magic. You imagine how fucking lame that would be if Soul got her <laughs> Gnome. <laughs> I mean, it'd be a character trait for her, I guess. Besides hating guys. <laughs> <laughs> what oh, if boy. What if Gnome's a guy? But I hate men. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah I don't have a lot to say about this. No, I don't honestly either. It's it's fine. I'm, I, we'll see whatever action comes out of it the next chapter we get. I personally do not like the new Valkyrie armor form, but I'm sure I'm just going to have to get used to it. So, uh, You know, I'd probably be fine with it if it didn't have butt wings, but maybe that's just... <laughs> Maybe that'll look better in a full full. Like, the placement, of, yeah. The, the placement of the wings is definitely a weird thing. Yeah. Just the fact that they're down on the spine, as opposed to where the becoming the shoulders or so. Yeah. Right. Sorry, I've struck by a bolt of fatigue. So now you're on One good. Piece, chapter one thousand fifty. Chains. Getting a little bit of internet hiccups, guys, so stick water. with us. Huh? Yep, yep. Uh, there we go. It seems uh, like it's gotten better. If you say so. Okay. Um, stuff is happening on the performance floor. People are reacting to the news that Luffy has seemingly lost uh, to Kaido. Uh, Queen is attacking Chopper, and he's not going to be, especially now that he's learned that Luffy's apparently lost, because he's starting to despair. Uh, body as a weapon to smack people around. 
because um, uh, you know he's good. He's uh, yeah, very important. So uh, we get just kind of like people reacting to the news. We get Queen, you know, mocking Chopper for uh, you know kind of lo- losing the uh, motivation to fight. Prospero uh, launches a giant flurry of arrows into the sky, and so immediately a bunch of people are like, oh no, what are we going to do? There's nowhere to run away from these deadly arrows, and Queen's going to use his breath weapon to finish things off. By that moment, Sanji arrives on the scene. He kicks uh, Queen in the head with his Diable Hambe, and then um, keeps on kicking him, and causes Queen's head to spiral around and act as a shield for everyone from the arrows uh, rain. And uh, eventually, Queen's head, I guess, uh, knocks into Prospero and knocks him away. Yeah. Hooray! Uh, Chopper, of course, is upset, but Sanji's uh, about, Lu- to, about Luffy, but Sanji says, don't cry, idiot. After all this time we've been together, how many miracles have you seen? And then he gives Zoro one last kick to knock him towards Chopper and says, take care of him. He's got the strength of 10 when he's healthy. And Zoro's like, 2,000. Because, you know, that's how their relationship be. Yes. And he says to uh, leave Queen to him. So. Uh, also, Marco is there. Glad to know that he's there. Yes. <laughs> We cut up to where Kaido had just arrived because uh, Momonosuke was there and uh, he beat the shit out of Kinemon, breaking his swords. Shinobu is trying to escape with Momonosuke, who is crying, but Kinemon is not done yet. He starts to drag himself up with his broken katana. And we get a very sweet little thing where he thinks back to the first time he said to Momonosuke that they needed to have cover for him so that people wouldn't think that he was Momonosuke, the son of Odin. And so he was like, you need to start calling me father. I'll act as your father so that we can keep your bloodline secret. And so it was kind of awkward for them at first because, you know, he was like kind of quietly saying, Lord, Momonosuke. Uh, and Momonosuke was occasionally starting to call him Kinemon before getting it right and calling him father. But then over time, they just kind of started talking to each other more naturally uh, as if they actually were father and son. And so Kimon thinks over all this and he get he gets up onto his knees and Kaido says, what will these extra seconds bother? Kaido gets ready to freaking stab Kinemon with a big old katana which just looks like a dagger in his hand as Kinemon just like tries to buy them time so that they can run away and Kaido says face your death warrior the problem with defeat is so few can accept it when it arrives and uh, he stabs the hell out of Kinemon it's a pretty brutal yeah, like stabs him all... through his body into the ground it's it's vicious yeah. it's uh, so brutal that the entire thing is in silhouette so you don't get a good look at it um Shinobu notices that Momonosuke has grabbed one of the spy animal things, a frog. And she's like, why why are you holding on to that? Momonosuke says, I've got to tell them. And so he gathers himself and he calls out that he is, he is Kosuke Momonosuke. 
And he says, I pass along Luffy's words. Luffy is alive. And he tells me that he will return to the battle. So keep fighting, no matter how hard and painful it is. As long as you still breathe, continue the fight. And we cut to Luffy in the ocean again. And he is mentally assuring Momonosuke from a distance. Tell them I'm going to be Kaido. And Momonosuke repeats these words and tells everyone, Luffy is going to win. And all the people who had started to despair are, of course, reinvigorated by this and start to keep on fighting again. So Kaido's caught up to them because uh, that was easy. Yeah. Um, And he's like, are you satisfied now? Shinobu uses a jutsu to... Decay the ground under someone. Yep. So, (laughs) by the way, remember how there was a freaking submarine that they came in? They've spotted Luffy. Hooray. Yeah, it's Law's submarine. Being piloted by Nick. I don't think he's actually piloting it. He's just in the background. Jean Bart, remember? The iconic third important crew member of uh, the Heart Pirates. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about, Nick? The fanfare should be off the roof. Everyone's been like, when's Jean Bart showing up again? <laughs> However, we cut away from there. Uh, to where Usopp is with uh, Tama and Nami. Tama is, not Tama, Toko, is uh, crying because Luffy's still alive! And uh, they're figuring out where they should run to. Uh, and then her climb attack starts talking. And they're like, who said that? And Nami looks down and she's like, my climate baton just talked. And it's got Zeus's face. He's alive! Kind of. Yes. Yeah. So so presumably, his soul, when he was getting eaten, just went somewhere else. So, uh, Big Mom, of course, is reacting to this news. And she's like, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at that moment, uh, Law arrives while she's, you know, battling with Kid. And uh, Kid says... Hey, don't you mess up my fight? And Law's just like, grow up. We, we've got to we've got to work together. We'll just temporarily form an alliance. And then we cut to the roof where Kaido is, I guess, just had Shinobu escape by having the ground decay under her, I think is what happened. I believe so, yeah. And someone is shouting down to Kaido. And Kaido says, I think you mean Father Yamato. But Yamato has arrived and says, no, I've come here to cut those chains. So Yamato's going to fight Kaido, at least tip for a little bit. So Yeah, pretty cool little scene there. Um, I know a lot of people are bummed that Sanji showed up to take Chopper's fight. Um, and while I'm not exactly 100% in agreement, I am at this point now very annoyed that Sanji's path through this arc has essentially been an almost one-for-one experience 
to his time in the Enos Lobby arc, where it's like, after everyone splits up, Sanji encounters a female opponent, his will to fight a female opponent is tested, and he is unable to do so and is ultimately defeated by that female opponent, which then requires one of the female crewmates of the Straw Hats to come in over and take the fight for him, after which time he kind of disappears for a little bit, but then he shows back up to defeat the or to challenge the third strongest member of the villain organization who is currently engaged in a fight with another one of the straw hats. But Sanji interrupting basically says, I have things I could do and you have things you need to do. So you need to do this, which in this turn is Chopper healing Zoro. It's a little annoying that it's the exact same thing, basically. So. All right. Yeah, I get some annoyance there, but otherwise, I mean, you talked me, you talked me through that, and I was like, yeah, I guess he is right, but I, but <laughs> it wasn't something that consciously occurred to me. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I mean, it's it, it should still be a cool fight, and I really do actually really enjoy the the shot of Yamato at the end. Um, it's a very cool visual where he's just like ah, yeah, <laughs> he just has like a very cool tough face there, and I yeah. do like how he looks. Um. And I kind of anticipated to get like a showdown between him and, and Kaido for at least a little bit. It's been almost a year since Yamato was introduced in the story and people have been like, what can he do? What's this devil fruit? Yeah. I want to see it. So maybe, maybe we'll see it soon. Yeah. Maybe. Some kind of dragon fruit, probably. We'll or see. maybe Tyrannosaurus Rex. I know a lot of people have Oh wait, no, into... that's x-drake no wait hold on x-drake devil fruit what is this fruit some kind of dinosaur thing by camera no he's an allosaurus yeah i i have seen some people predicting that uh yamato has like the biako like a tiger thing which so it would be a different type of uh legendary figure to go along with the dragon and you know the tiger and the dragon are like rivals and stuff but we'll see very well. Uh, let's go over our favorite chapters and MVPs of the week, shall we? Uh, sure. Uh, my favorite chapter this week is... <sighs> I don't want to give it an undead unlock, but I think I... Again. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? Fuck it. Fuck all you people. It's Dr. Stone. I love that stupid doctor of science and doctor of or scientist of darkness and scientist of light. It's dumb, but it worked for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I don't think that there were very many good chapters this week. Like there there's not I don't even know if there's a single bad chapter uh, that we had this week, but everything was just kind of like, okay. so. I think I actually am gonna go under unluck. <laughs> All right. Um, even though like it's it like this chapter wasn't as good as some recent ones, but at least it was like okay, yeah, it's maintaining the momentum of some of the really good stuff that we've had uh, in the last couple of weeks. So hopefully next week we have some more standouts because it's it's a little bit weird for me to have said for like an entire year I don't want to read under unluck and then be like under unluck is the best thing in the magazine. <laughs> Yeah, we've had that a little bit recently. Uh, character of the week, I'm going to give to... I'm going to give it to Mui from uh, Undead Unluck because I really... It was such a cool moment of just like, why am I walking forward? It's like, oh, because you're trying to run away and we're using Untruth on you. And then using on Apocalypse was very cool as well. It was cool. Yeah. 
Oh gosh. Um. Give it to the I toilet for World Trigger. <laughs> I kind of want to give it to Innocent Zero just because I Ooh, went. Oh, that's, that's cool. Um. Toilet, toilet, no, toilet. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know what? I think I am going to do that because if there was one character that made me just take notice of them doing anything this week, it was that. It was okay. for a very like shallow reason, which is like, oh, that's a cool design. Uh, but I, yeah, like I said, not an incredibly exceptional, uh, not, not a, lot of, like, a lot of incredibly exceptional chapters this week, basically. So. All right. Our audience picked One Piece, by the way, as their chapter of the week, and Noel for Black Clover as their character of the week. Fair enough. That is going to do it for Weekly Micro Recap, guys. We want to thank you for joining us here on twitch.tv slash where we record the show Wednesdays, usually around 7.30 Eastern time in the evening. Uh, you can stay up to date on exactly when we're going to go live over by following us on Twitter, at WMRPodcast, at RoloT, at NickFTime or by joining our Discord server, where we will notify you when the stream goes live. The Discord server is also a great place to hang out with our community, talk about the uh, chapters for each series that we recap, the series that we are taking as recommendation also gets discussed on there. You can use that to find the Google Doc that is maintained by NinjaX3i that contains all the recommendations that we are uh, we have been over, uh, statistics in terms of like stuff that we've covered, uh, favorite series and MVPs and all that stuff. And uh, you can also use it to vote for your own favorites and everything on there. Also, we have a great community that plays games on Tuesdays and Saturdays. uh, So check it out. We also would like to extend a special thanks to uh, our people who are supporting us on Patreon. Because you allow us to create fun bonus content for you guys to enjoy. That is patreon.com slash recap. Check that out for the other monthly, monthly other recap, rather, yes. that Chris does at the beginning of each month, where you can find out what's going on in stuff like uh, Ayakashi Triangle and Blue Box and all the other series in Shonen Jump that we do not cover in the weekly, weekly manga recap. Exactly. We also want, and uh, last but not least, we want to thank the people who help create, uh, who help the podcast be what it is. Steve Manor, Tyler artist. You can check out his work wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet Milo Jack Stillitz and Winston Del Cheddar who create the opening sequence for the video version of Weekly Manga Recap as gets posted to YouTube which is one of the many places you can find Weekly Manga Recap along with weeklymangarecap.podbean.com and uh, Spotify and basically anywhere you can find podcasts just do a search for Weekly Manga Recap yeah uh, also should note because uh, this came up in our discord recently uh, some people were curious about how to get bonus pods, uh, but there is a, a separate RSS feed for the bonus pods on Patreon when you when you uh, subscribe to it. So you're able to get it as a separate feed in case you use podcast app for that. And uh, do we have a recommendation? Then? I do. I do have a recommendation. Uh, so this one is a recommendation from Carito Prime. This is a series called Love Stage. It is a uh, romantic comedy slice of life series, and uh, I thought this might just be a, a fun one to uh, cleanse the palate after a very heavy series. Uh, I know nothing about this. This could be full of monsters. I don't know. Uh, but we're going to go check it out. Okay. Oh, I don't know about... Oh, oh, that 
that boy looks like he might have some creepy vibes on him. Mm. <laughs> well, we'll see. Yeah, there you go. We'll see what happens with it. Uh, well, <laughs> I like Karina was saying, like, I recommended that eight years ago. Well, we got to it. <laughs> <laughs> we got you. <laughs> we got you there. <laughs> All right, guys, that is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap this week. Goodbye. Oh.